0: that he has so chosen to care for us as human beings that he would provide, plan, execute redemption for humans before the foundation of the world. That he would care so much about a lost soul that he left the glory of heaven to live here on this earth in order that we might become his child and to have that home eternally with him one day. I had mentioned this morning in the auditorium class that as you read and study the scriptures, it's amazing how God teaches And now God reminds us that He has a plan that we very seldom fully see or even begin to comprehend. As human beings, we have a tendency of categorizing sin. We have a tendency to categorize sinners and how we view them based on what we perceive to be the case within their lives, As Israel of old, we have that tendency of believing that we are the 99 righteous souls that need no repentance. And that's not the case. We tend to categorize those around us in a similar fashion. Great sinners, not so bad. Just need a little nudge here and there. And forget the depths of our own sin. It's interesting as you begin to read the scripture for this morning. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. See the categories already being made. God's people have drawn those things. Tax collectors. Who <clears throat> likes the IRS. Uh, <clears throat> Here was even worse than that. Tax collectors would, uh, would collect the Roman tax that they would require. They would be able to keep a percentage of that and give the rest to the government. So they were the worst of all sinners. They betrayed their own people, if you will. But tax collectors and sinners drew near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. The Pharisees thought themselves to be the 90 and the 9. They were the righteous souls. They were the ones that were chosen by God. They were the ones who were keeping God's will and God's word in their life. But the scriptures clearly show us that that was not the case. But They thought they were the righteous ones. And the scribes. It's hard to really understand the work of the scribes. To understand the task that was given to them in the copying of the Word of God. Some of the Material that would be used to write the scriptures on would last for thousands of years. Some would not last that long, but only a short period of time. But they had a love for God's word, or were supposed to. And they were very careful that as they transcribed the word onto another book or parchment, they counted letters. They wanted to make sure that they did not miss any letters. Challenge you at times, challenge you, sit down and copy a page out of the Bible and do not make any mistakes on that page. I had a friend that did taxes and as you prepared the taxes and the W-2 forms and so forth, they have on there that they cannot be made, well they have to be made without any mistakes on them. No crossovers, no liquid paper. <laughs> they had to be perfect. And I've seen typists who could type 125, 150 words a minute. And when they get to doing the W-2 forms, slow down to about 10 words a minute. Because they want to be sure that they copy it exactly as it is written. The scribes were to do that. They knew what it said. Not sure they knew what it meant. And sometimes that's with us. We know what it says. Do we know what it means? They were willing to say that this man receives sinners and eats with them. They may have thought it was an attack on Jesus. But I wonder if they ever understood how true it was. He ate with sinners. He fellowshiped with them. He had fellowship with some of those scribes and those Pharisees. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That would be the tax collectors and the sinners. But it also would be the Pharisees and the scribes. We have that tendency of categorizing sin. And we need to be careful. And Jesus does that in the parables that he uses here in Luke chapter 15. As you read those three that are given, we only looked at the two. But the third one is what we call the prodigal son. But as you read those, does Jesus categorize the sins? Or does he look at the sinner? He uses the familiar. And the immediate application to those of his day and to those whom he would be addressing. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Does he categorize now why was this sheep lost? Is it lost because it wasn't paying attention? Was it lost because it was involved in doing something else? Why are people lost? We want to categorize them. Well, because of terrible sinners. They cheat the government. They do this, they do that. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. The parable is not even addressing the why Is simply addressing the fact that there was one that was lost. Irregardless or regardless of anything else. Not why the sheep was lost. The sheep was lost. Needed to be redeemed. Those that he would address, the 99 that were righteous, that needed no repentance as they would think, may have looked down upon that one sheep along the way. But the concern that the one has or that the master has for that one sheep is a part that we need to reflect upon as well. we mentioned that, or has been mentioned several times, and we'll continue to mention. We're considering the whole mission program. and As I mentioned in the auditorium class, is there anything in that program that is new? There's not anything in there that's new. It's what we already know we ought to be doing. Are we the 99 who think we need no repentance? Or do we realize that indeed we may indeed need that within our lives? To understand what the mission of the church is. We also have a brochure in the back that we've had made up times gone by are building up, are shining, and are reaching out. Is there anything new within this that is not found within the pages of God's Word? There's nothing new here. We're all to be reaching out to the lost. For we were all lost at one time. Yea, we may have different backgrounds. We may have been raised in a different situation than some of the others. But there was a time when each one of us was lost. And somebody reached out. However that may have been. And we need to, as the saying goes, go back to the basics. We're to be shining. Anything new about that? Have we not read that in scriptures? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and do what? Say, what a good person you are. i really like the life you're living. No, to glorify your Father who is in heaven. And we are to build up. Anything new in that? Build up one another. Encourage one another. Stir one another up to love and to good works. In that case, I like the King James version of that. Provoke one another unto love and the good works. And what does it take to provoke somebody? It takes knowing them, does it not? This is a rare case where the word provoke is used in a good sense. Usually it's used in a negative sense. Provoking you to anger, provoking you to one thing or another. But in order to provoke anybody, good or bad, you have to know the person. And as you know the person, there there are things that you know that you can say that will stir them up. But usually it's in the negative sense. We need to put it in the positive. Because we know each other, we need to be able to stir one another up love and to good works. By how? By not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the habit of some. Some are already doing that. As we miss services, we usually have a justification as to why. The scripture says you need to stir one another up in the service of God by not forsaking this assembling of yourselves together but the encouraging of one another and all the more as you see that day approaching. Be it the Lord's day or be it the final day on this earth for us or be it the final day of the universe in, in, in totality. Whatever day you want to put in there We're to stir each other up. Encourage one another. It's easy to get discouraged. A lot of things out there in the world that demands our attention. And we need to be reminded. We have a priority in life. Promise you. Except the Lord come again, I promise you. This world will continue on long after you're gone the question is where will you be only two choices no guarantee of tomorrow no assurance that you'll survive this day or this hour The Hebrew, writer, <coughs> the Hebrew writer reminds us that the of the man wants to die and after this, the judgment. When is that time, that appointment of death? You do not know. We live in a world that that is an uncertainty. We've dealt with loved ones who've been told they've had a short period of time and gone on to live 15, 20 years long, Longer. We've had other loved ones we've believed were in pretty good health and gone in a heartbeat. We have no guarantee. We have no way of knowing. So the scriptures remind us that sheep was simply lost and needed to be found. And that the master, of the shepherd, the good shepherd, has such a concern for one lost sheep that he was willing to lead the 99 and 9 and go searching for that one <clears throat> what if that one is you what if that one sheep that the shepherd went after is you do you not believe they would be rejoicing Do you not believe there would be the gratitude? Thank you, God, for so loving me. Thank you, God, for what? Saving my soul. There wasn't any question about why did the sheep wander. The question was it was lost and needed to be found. And when he found it, Verse 7. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous ones, just persons, who need no repentance. Reflect on that for a moment. Can you picture heaven? Can you catch a glimpse of what it's like? The throne of, Of the holy righteous God. The purity of the angels that surround the throne. The righteous souls that are there. And then to think. There's more joy in heaven. Over one soul on this earth. In a given period of time. Than over the nine nine righteous ones. That need no repentance. We read of the righteous when they live their life. And stand before the throne. Well done thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Well received into heaven. But the joy of that one. Regardless of the reason why. The lost was. He was lost or she was lost. The joy that they found, salvation, and the rejoices there. Or what woman having uh, uh, ten silver coins if she loses one? What's the value? The value is priceless for her. I found the coin that was lost, I've searched diligently for it. Now, there you don't have anything to say, why was the coin lost? What did the coin do to become lost? The coin was lost. But the coin was found. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But then... It gets a little more personal. You use sheep. You use the coin. Now, let me talk to you about a person the account of what we call the prodigal son. You need, excuse me, you need to know the attitude of the elder son, a description of the Jews. We, listen, we've kept your word. We've always been here. We have done whatever you've asked us to do. And how can it be that you would allow this worthless son? Let me tell you what he did when he took his inheritance and went into that far land. Let me tell you what type of life he lived. Let me tell you how bad he is. No application there? No, you don't know how bad they are out there in the world, Lord. But you need to be grateful that you have us serving you. I've never done anything wrong. Kept your commandments, done your will. But as you read about the Jews and as you read about God's people, read the parable, I mean, the the question of the rich young ruler, what must I do to have eternal life? Keep the commandments. Oh, I've kept these from my youth up. You lack what? One thing you sell what you have. See, the question was, had he kept the commandments from his youth up? What was the first one? What was the greatest commandment of all? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart. He hadn't done that because he would not give up his riches to be with God. I've kept them, have we? Yeah, we kept him. I'm not like this wayward son. What was the response of the father? What was the father doing when the son started home? The father, God, saw him coming from a distance. And the father, God, ran to meet him. Rejoice, my son who was lost is now found. My son who was dead is now alive. The father had a different view of the son than the brother had of his brother. Whose example are we following? Do we see those that are are outside the confines of this building as sinners, terrible sinners? Look what they do. Look what they're doing in the world in which we live, how they've changed everything we do. Look how bad they are. Or do we see them as sinners? See them as lost and need to be found? Therein lies our task, is it not? Our desire is to be what? A child of the living God. Our desire is what? To follow Jesus, our example. we know the externals do we know the internal do we know the internal does the heartache for the lost souls does a heart reach out to those who are dead in order that they might live? One day, it's not a threat, but it is a reality. One day, You, as an individual, will stand before the almighty, pure, holy, loving God to give an answer to the life he gave you. What have you done with it? What are you doing with it? If we need to make a change in our lives, it is God's bidding that we would be able to do that. God, in His grace and His mercy, has always extended time and opportunity to us. But as with anything, one day the time and the opportunity will be gone. How will you answer to God Almighty? the life you're living. If you need to make a change, if we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.